Welcome to the discussion, How Agencies Are Reducing IT Complexities in a Multi-Cloud World, sponsored by CenturyLink. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Alan Hill, Director of Telecommunications at the General Services Administration. Sanjay Gupta is the Chief Technology Officer of the Small Business Administration. Stephen Grunch is Branch Chief for Enterprise Cloud Services at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And Zain Ahmed, Vice President and General Manager, Civilian Sales for CenturyLink. It's good to have you all here today. And let's start with where the agencies are in respect to migration of applications to the cloud. And I ask that in the context of we're not where we were 10 years ago, email, okay, fine, that's in the cloud. But now as higher and higher level and more mission critical applications move there, I want to get a sense of how you think about what application comes next given the long tail of development and management that might follow that application migration. So Steve, why don't we start with you? Alan? Yeah. Thank you, Tom, appreciate the invite. Um, so uh, one of the things that GSA has been involved with is helping uh, to create a application rationalization, a rationalization playbook. Uh, we did that with working with the Federal CIO Council and also OMB. Uh, that is a great tool that agencies can leverage to help rationalize the applications that are ready to move to the cloud and those that maybe need a little bit more work. Uh, or maybe and, those you kill off altogether. Absolutely, that's correct. Uh, and then, uh, you know, coming from my previous uh, agency, I, I was working with three cloud providers and what we were providing to the agency. And um, we did a lot of the own uh, legwork uh, but coming to GSA, uh, I got exposed to the Cloud Information Center. And there at gsa.gov slash CIC, they have a group of, of GSA experts. Um, they have best practices out there. And they have the cloud providers where it provides a huge amount of information. So a lot of the legwork agencies might be trying to do themselves. If they can just go out there and they can probably find a lot of the answers that they've been searching for to help solve some of their business problems. But what would you say without reading the whole playbook would be the top two things to consider when deciding, doing that rationalization, this one moves, this one stays, this one, we turn it off and see who screams. So uh, one is the customer experience. Uh, is it going to impact the customer experience? Because that, that experience of how the customer leverages, we're going to be changing the business practices of what the process is, what they're used to using. And um, are they ready for that? Is it able to be able to meet their mission needs? Uh, the other thing is how does, it, can it integrate into the network? Um, beyond just taking an application that is a software as a service and moving it into the cloud, you got to take in consideration the security aspect, the network and how it traverses the network and how it gets to the end user. So it's extremely look at things holistically, not just from an application aspect. Okay, good. Sanjay. So in terms of, uh, uh, from SBA's perspective, uh, we've basically adopted our cloud-first policy and a cloud-smart policy now, as it's renamed. And what that means is, for us, the default is in the cloud. Now, let me be a little clearer about what that means is, our vision is to get to the software-as-a-service model to the extent possible. But we're not quite there yet. Uh, so as I speak today, we are a smattering of infrastructure-as-a-service, which is probably our predominant model today, some platform as a service, and some software as a service. Some of the core applications at the SBA, like our financial applications, our loan processing and loan servicing applications, uh, which are in some ways legacy applications and they're core for the SBA, we are looking at ways to how we can move them to a cloud footprint. And naturally that'll be a slow and transition path, it'll be a deliberate path, and uh, so we're evaluating how we should be looking to move those. Because that's really central to the service you provide to the small businesses that have the loans, is those processing and application systems, and those are pretty dated in general? Correct, that's true. And so one of the things we also do at the SBA is our, our, our disaster support. So one of our key applications that supports, uh, it's called disaster credit management system, is also uh, being modernized and it is moving into the cloud in a more of a software as a service model. But some of the ancillary applications that make up that ecosystem for our disaster support are still on-premises and we're working to figure out a way to migrate them to the cloud as well. And in the case of those legacy apps, and we'll discuss this maybe more in detail later on, but is the consideration that how it was developed originally in the architecture for which it was developed, that must right. be a consideration. It does, and sometimes uh, since they are core and they're foundational to the enterprise, 
they have, if you will, their tentacles uh, connecting to the other parts of the enterprise. So it's not an easy to just rip it out and replace it with a new solution. So you have to take care of all the interfaces. The interfaces at times in these cases run out to other agencies, for example, to the treasury, for example. And so you have to be looking into what are the second level and the third level implications of making these upgrades. So we're looking at it in a methodical way and we're looking to see how we can make progress towards it. And obviously we're trying to do the crawl, walk, run approach here. But again, we're taking a very aggressive stance as it relates to modernization into the cloud and the SBA. But safe to say it is an active front of mind, top of mind effort for the whole technology operation. Oh, absolutely. And, and when we say cloud first and cloud smart, that's our default. So today or for the last two plus years, if there's an application that is mostly in an on-premises model, our default is it should be in the cloud. So I'll give you a for instance of some of the cases we have had applications that were selected or uh, they needed to be uh, implemented for the SBA's business needs. So we figured out a way to say, let's make sure we can move them and implement them in the SBA cloud as opposed to implementing them in the SBA on-premises environment. So that was a conscious choice because we do believe that the, the benefits of the cloud outweigh the, this, the default standard to say, okay, let's do it in on-premises. That's an easy way to do it. But we made the conscious choice to do that. So it is a deliberate approach for us. Okay, good. And Steve, I think of USCIS as maybe one of the last bastions of a lot of paper in the forums. And I know the agency has been working very hard to get some of those digitized and starting with you know, some common forms. So give right. us a sense of so, where you are. Sure, thank you, Tom. Uh, so from a high level, yes, one of our major initiative initiatives at USCIS is to create an e-processing uh, capability where all of the intake forms are digitized. As part of that, though, there's been a long history at USCIS of moving to the cloud. Today, nearly all of our applications, or not, I'm sorry, nearly all of the applications in the portfolios that we have have some presence in the cloud. Uh, we have we have adopted a, a cloud-native or cloud-first strategy uh, several years ago. Uh, we've, we have embraced the cloud as an opportunity to provide a more secure environment for our applications by leveraging the tools that are available uh, in the cloud service providers. And we're, you know, the, the exceptions that are coming about are becoming less and less for us. Uh, in addition to that, we are also leveraging several new technologies. Uh, most of the, the applications today that we're moving to the cloud as part of e-processing are built on microservices. Uh, we're reutilizing code across different development units uh, and, and reutilizing uh, different services uh, across the different legacy application stacks. So even though, you know, we do have a legacy of paper. You know, USCIS is probably one of the front runner um, agencies that are using cloud. Okay, and Zaid, you look across government in your work, and yeah. what are the trends you're seeing? Again, being very specific, 2019, and as we go into the second half of the year, and almost to the end of the fiscal. Yeah, uh, great question. So we're seeing, there was a big rush to the cloud, and some of it is, kind of coming back now, where they're looking at kind of repatriating the, ac the applications back into their data centers, especially the high value assets that they have. Um, that probably has to have some rationalization if it needs to move to the cloud. Um, and some legacy applications as well. Uh, either they need to be redeveloped or re-architected and, mm -hmm. and tested and then deployed in, in a cloud environment. So there's a mix of that. Um, the second thing that we're seeing is that folks rush to one cloud provider, one CSB, and now they're looking at options, multiple cloud pro providers, Amazon and Microsoft Azure and HP. Um, so looking at a Google across the board and even kind of combining that uh, into their data center and looking at a portfolio of clouds, right? Mm -hmm. And the essential piece of it becomes how do you manage across that many um, por portfolio of applications across different cloud providers um, we've, we've seen an uptick in that, and we've developed an application called Cloud Application Manager, which helps customers manage multiple cloud hybrid environments as well as their existing data center uh, to optimize workloads across the board. Okay, and we'll get more into the management aspects yeah. as we talk uh, throughout this, uh, this uh, session. But uh, 
I guess maybe this follow-on question I would have is, what have you learned so far? I mean, what might, might did you, in this whole migration effort and developing the playbook, did you not anticipate that maybe has come up? Because there's always something with IT. Like in this case of the tentacles, you don't know what's going to break down the line when you do this here and all of a sudden something doesn't come back from where the tentacle was, that kind of thing. Al? Sure. Uh, so the first thing is not all cloud, cloud providers are the same. Um, and uh, being able to uh, understand how the services are delivered from each of the cloud providers is important in deciding how you uh, develop a hybrid cloud model. Uh, I'll go back to where you talked about for the past 10 years we've been running down this path of cloud migration. And uh, I'll say now that cloud smart strategy gets it right. Mm -hmm. The focus on the security, the procurement, and the workforce is extremely important. Um, security for some reason, I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit. It's, it seems to be second thought in a lot of times when we go out and do things, and it can't be. It's uh, In this day and age, we got to really focus on making sure that we bring uh, the types of security tools. Uh, it can be costly, and when you're trying to manage security within a data center, and on top of where you have multiple cloud providers, you need to come with a common set of tools. Um, for example, in our EIS uh, contract vehicle, we have managed security services that help bridge that between data centers and uh, the cloud providers. Um, in addition, um, we have a, a security uh, uh, team that uh, GSA.gov IT security that has a wealth of information of best practices and things that you need to take in consideration when you begin going into a multi-cloud environment. And particularly that the fact that our team is teamed with DHS and what their best mm -hmm. practices and policies that need to be, and us coming up with the types of solutions that help solve those type of uh, needs for the customers. Okay. Sanjay, what have, what have you found that maybe yeah. uh, didn't so anticipate, especially, well, you mentioned the tentacles. Right, right. So, so I think I'd start with the, uh, as Alan was mentioning about security, one of the things we adopted was security by design. So it's not an afterthought. Uh, and I'll talk a little later on about our cybersecurity vision to protect all IT assets within SVA. But this is, we're talking about challenges. So one of the things I would say in the cloud environment is it's kind of a plus and a minus both. The pace of change and introduction of new products and services, and you can, doesn't matter which cloud service provider or CSP you're talking about, is pretty intense and almost on a weekly, on a monthly basis, new products and service offerings are being uh, created and being made available to customers. So that's a good thing, obviously. The bad side of that is trying to keep up with that is a challenge in of itself. Um, so, so that's one of the things we realize that you have to be reassessing some of those choices and decisions you have made, say two years ago even for that matter, uh, and be able to re-examine them in light of the new product and service offerings. Number two, I would say, is the fact that we have uh, acute shortage of skilled resources engineering resources in the cloud, design people, architecture folks, uh, and obviously cybersecurity folks as well. So that's another uh, issue that we are all facing with, uh, which is a pretty large issue in terms of you don't have the right skills, and kind of goes hand in hand with the first one that I talked about. Number three I'd say is, uh, which kind of probably goes to what Zane's uh, uh, firm offers is connectivity. Um, the, the fact of the matter is that when you're in a cloud or multiple clouds, uh, you need to rely on a high-speed network connectivity to get your cloud uh, and be able to get the performance you're expecting. And because of the nuances involved in connecting to the clouds, uh, our experience at the SPA was that took us a long time to get the, uh, fast connectivity established to the cloud. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the things we share at the SPA uh, is our story and our, our art of the possible story, which we've shared with many agencies about how we did it, what did we learn from it, and how can you avoid the pitfalls and the challenges that we came across? Last but not the least, the most important aspect in the cloud journey is having strong, committed executive sponsorship. And let me be very specific of what that means. Uh, at SBA, our OCIO leadership team was committed and they had the conviction to move forward with it to the extent that mm -hmm. we actually ended up burning up bridges behind uh, as we were on a cloud journey back in 2017 because we knew we needed to get there and we knew there was no going back to it. That takes a lot of conviction, it takes a lot of confidence, and it takes a lot of commitment on the leadership to make those bold moves. 
So I think that's one of the things I see as I talk with other colleagues, that, that commitment and that confidence from the executive team sometimes is not adequate enough. This requires you to be all in, so to speak, sure. and be uh, very sh uh, convinced that this is the right path for you. And Steve, uh, did you find that also there's a human capital issue, learning, knowledge, and also the, the uh, cloud agility or intercloud portability maybe is a better word for it. Those are things you've encountered also? Yes, uh, just to echo what other panelists have said, uh, our lessons learned have fallen under uh, these categories of the financial aspect, uh, contracting specifically, uh, the technical aspect of designing the network, uh, and also refactoring applications as they move into the cloud. For example, if we take an application from a data center and move it into the cloud, we have to have people that recognize that the cloud infrastructure is different, um, that different uh, skills are required to build automated infrastructure in, in, in the cloud environment uh, and to optimize that, right? Uh, again, with the security piece of it, that has been a, a critical piece of our infrastructure uh, and to support our cloud environments across the board. The other thing that I would say that we've, that we've learned over time is that it, governance is important at the beginning of the process. Uh, we, we needed to develop um, communities of excellence because of the number of people that are, are actively in our cloud environment. In USCIS, we have multiple vendors, multiple contractors that are accessing different portions of the, of the cloud environment and having a landing zone, if you will, uh, sure. to, to bring, the, to bring a, a focal point or a set of ground rules to everyone was important at the beginning of the process. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a short break at this point, and Zaid, I have a lot of follow-up questions for you and, and you all, but let's take a break right now. My guests today are Alan Hill, Director of Telecommunications at the General Services Administration. Sanjay Gupta is the Chief Technology Officer of the Small Business Administration. Steve Grunch is Branch Chief Enterprise Cloud Services at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And Zain Ahmed is the Vice President and General Manager for Civilian Sales for CenturyLeak. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, here on the panel discussion, How Agencies Are Reducing IT Complexities in a Multi-Cloud World, sponsored by CenturyLink, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Here's Dave Young, Senior Vice President, Strategic Government with CenturyLink. Today, federal agencies are busy modernizing their IT systems. They are building tomorrow's digital government, and they're using technology that will make a real difference in people's lives. CenturyLink is helping them migrate to the cloud, build modern networks, and fortify their security. When you think IT modernization, think CenturyLink. Visit CenturyLink.com federal to learn more about building your digital government today. Welcome back to our panel discussion, How Agencies Are Reducing IT Complexities in a Multi-Cloud World, sponsored by CenturyLink, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Alan Hill, Director of Telecommunications at the General Services Administration. Sanjay Gupta is Chief Technology Officer of the Small Business Administration. Stephen Grunch is Branch Chief for Enterprise Cloud Services at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And Zain Ahmed, Vice President and General Manager, Civilian Sales for CenturyLink. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before the break, we were talking about some of the interrelated issues of the vast numbers of new products that are launched by cloud providers to you know, enhance their offerings, and also the related need for the technical skill in the government side to be able to deal with all of this. Zane, what are you seeing? Comment on how, how you bridge that gap. So, we've, I mean, we've seen it where CenturyLink has built a robust set of uh, cloud ecosystem partners to put, put all the solutions set together and keep updated with the technology as it evolves. Um, not every technology applies to the government and making sure it applies within the FISMA framework and, and can be securely um, evolved and adapted is an important step. Um, having the, the set, kind of the rationalization put in place with the right skill set to baseline uh, all the needs of the department and how it meets the mission is an important bridge. And having the expertise to come in and do that, um, not every department has, has the expertise in-house in to do it. So bringing a trusted partner is one of the biggest things that um, makes it a successful program. 
Yeah, so in other words, a new service could be a terrific piece of technology from this or that cloud provider, but it could also maybe undo some things that are required for FISMA compliance, or as Sanjay mentioned, it could maybe interrupt some of the calls and interrelationships of applications. The second, third the level second, of third interaction level. that needs to happen within the application itself. So you need the skill to be able to recognize that or some kind of way to deal with maybe testing it. Correct, uh, and we, we developed this tool called Cloud Application Manager that, that helps you manage and add, provides you data analytics behind the scenes as to how your uh, application is performing. Um, it also gives you a bridge into which cloud to send which application to and which workload needs to go where um, and gives you a one, one view of it because you can also have an opportunity where you just expense too much within the cloud because if you just send workloads on it without rec recognizing how much you're just going to get billed for, you'll end up with a big bill at the end of the day. So this gives you an opportunity to actually see it before it actually happens and lets you optimize that. Sure, and Alan, what does the playbook say about, and also the, I guess the cloud smart strategy just out you know, a few weeks ago as this airs, uh, with respect to inculcating new technology services coming from cloud providers that spiffy, but it's got to work in your environment. Well, looking at the playbook and looking at the strategy and focusing on the workforce, um, one agency's focusing on the types of uh, training to bring up the skill sets of their staff. But going back, the, as uh, you mentioned and Zane mentioned, the technology is changing too fast. And so it's important to, that's why at GSA we built uh, managed security services so that as these technologies are changing, that they actually, the, our industry partners have the skills to manage these complex tools in a complex environment. Uh, going from a traditional uh, security model, and myself, my background is in security, and it's a lot more complex today than it was 10 years ago. Uh, and staying compliant with NIST standards, uh, the NIST requirements, uh, is not an easy path. And it's important to partner with industry partners who have the skills to help augment your government staff to where you have gaps. Yeah, that's a good point. NIST has had extensive guidance on cybersecurity writ large, and also cybersecurity for mobility, cybersecurity for cloud environments. And, Sanjay, do you find that you have the ability now in the agency to evaluate these products because you don't want to let something go by that might be good or use something that's not going to be so good? How do you do that? Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge like we had talked earlier, Tom. Um, and I want to just kind of piggyback to the part about the comment Alan made and you made about, you know, the cloud is a paradigm change. And what that means is a lot of the forces, the skilled workforce you have has to reorient themselves to think in the cloud. The boundaries have changed, it is more abstract, it is more amorphous. So one of the things we are doing and I'm doing at the SBA is simplifying things. Because like we say in the technology world, it's easier to make things complex, but it's more difficult to simplify. So one of the factors we are focused on is how do you simplify things? And I'll give you a quick instance like I was referencing earlier. So I laid out a cybersecurity vision to protect all of IT assets within the SBA, regardless of where they sit, meaning they're on-premises, in a cloud, any type of cloud, whether they're mobile devices, and we're using one uniform way to manage, monitor, track, and secure all of our IT assets. So in other words, we've simplified the way we are managing our IT environment and protecting our IT environment. And we've deployed these series of tools which are in the cloud, so they are scalable as much as we need them to be, and it allows us to now monitor and manage the entire environment. So that's the model we've adopted, that's the model which is actually enabling SBA to not only meet the objectives that are set out by some of the guidelines, but in fact, we have been able to inform uh, policies like the TIC, the Trusted Internet Connections, mm -hmm. which was laid out, oh, what, in 2007 or so. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to challenge the status quo, if you will, and be able to demonstrate how we could meet the intent and the goals of the, the Trusted Internet Connections. Uh, I just recently completed a similar pilot, a 90-day pilot for the CDM modernization again, mm -hmm. the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program by DHS, it was not designed to be in the cloud, so working with the DHS uh, CDM team, we've been showing how we can meet the objectives that the CDM program had laid out in the cloud. So it's been a challenge, but at the same time, we are all about uh, challenging the status quo and being able to demonstrate how we can not only protect the SBA, but also help the rest of the federal government 
understand a model that they can adopt. So that's what we've been doing. Yeah, that's a good point. If you have a policy that there shall be CDM right. and continuous monitoring and diagnostics, and there shall be use of a tick, a trusted internet connection, then by extension, that has to be the case in the cloud Correct. as more and more assets move there. Yep. Absolutely, and that's what we've demonstrated, and there's more on our uh, target list for coming in the future. Steve, that's what you found also? Yes, uh, obviously we, we do use the tick for, our, for traffic uh, coming into our environment. Uh, we're, you know, we're fully compliant with, with the federal guidelines on how to, how to move traffic in and out of our cloud environment. I would say more specifically, though, one of the problems that we run into is evaluating new services that are offered by cloud providers. Mm -hmm. I think um, the other panelists have touched on this as well. Um, we leverage the FedRAMP program pretty extensively for new services that are offered. Uh, that is part of, our, part of our process in which we evaluate services that are going to be used by different development teams. Uh, I think the other thing that, that we look at within our organization is this idea of immutable security, or security as code, if you will. Uh, we try to put the security components of the applications that we develop really early on in the process. And so in, in terms of approving or, or baking in security into our environment, we're approving the process of which applications or code is put into the cloud, okay? Um, when, when a team decides which services it's going to use and which pipeline it's going to use to put that code into the cloud, our security team has evaluated that and approved that. Mm -hmm. okay? So uh, once that's done, once the process is approved and, uh, and the pipeline to get the code into the cloud environment is approved, then we can focus on changes to that pipeline rather than each individual product that's, that's involved with it. Yeah, so there's kind of a theme here I'm hearing, and that is having kind of a reference situation against which you can measure some of these new services, whether it's in security or in connectivity to other applications, whatever the situation might be. And so, uh, Zane, is that what you're seeing in general, is that agencies, hey look, great service, run it through FedRAMP first, or great service, test it against my security posture and my security as code, for example, first, then we'll consider it. Definitely, we're seeing FedRAM being used a lot more, um, and and the other framework like FISMA is always um, applicable, right? Um, and we're we're doing it for a pretty large agency where we're deployed a FISMA moderate kind of environment for them and has all the security checks and balances because if it that that's a minimum criteria to get and solve a problem for the mission and be applicable within the um, cloud environment. Uh, to it it. There are three main things you need to be able to do. One is to, um, it, when one is you should be able to do multi-cloud orchestration. Second is you need to be able to show uh, where the workloads need need to go and manage uh, that from a cost perspective and be able to provide one single kind of interface. Mm -hmm. And third is doing um, data, uh, sorry, ability to manage in um, in cloud multiple cloud services. Mm -hmm. Well, that goes with the orchestration on one end yeah. and managing it on the other end. And yeah, so the idea of um, this uh, single interface to many multiple resources, mm -hmm. would that also include the data center that the agency still operates? Uh, absolutely, and, and in fact, as agencies move to a hybrid cloud, it's important to understand the network aspect and the security aspect. Cloud is not coming from a single source anymore. It's coming from multiple points. There's multiple vectors as we become more wireless. Uh, so it's important to create a network that is a hybrid network that supports cloud environment. The way the network works for a traditional network does not work for cloud uh, environment. So it's mm -hmm. important to uh, create a hybrid network that allows, that supports your cloud providers at the same time to support your data center. Um, uh, Software-defined networking is becoming extremely more important in cloud environment and how the application gets delivered to the customer. And in, and in addition, leveraging things like SD-WAN so that you can lower that cost associated with having a multi-cloud environment. It's important to, as agencies move forward in the modernization of their infrastructure, both from a security and a network perspective, 
that they take in and use the types of technologies out there that, that is ideal for a cloud environment, but also supports your legacy data centers. Yeah, so Sanjay, what is your approach to that multi-environment and multi-factor, if you will, for lack of a better word, management element? Because you've got to manage the movement of things to the cloud, the orchestration, the startup, maybe manage things among commercial clouds, which gets really complicated, and then the interplay between maybe the same application in your data center and also in cloud instances or multiple cloud instances with the same vendor. We've talked about cybersecurity. Clearly, you have to right. manage what's happening there and know about it, and also the, as we said, the orchestration. What are the other elements of management? I mean, for example, ongoing performance management. Right, so, so we are looking at the SBA in a uniform manner, and we're being cloud agnostic, if you will. Now, it's easier said than done, obviously. We're trying to look at one set of tools which manage all things in multiple clouds. So for starters, we made a decision early on that we are going to limit ourselves to two major clouds, and so our cloud footprint is largely limited to those two major cloud service providers. But we're deploying tools, we're deploying processes, we're making solutions that span those different clouds. And like I was talking earlier about cybersecurity, we're not limiting ourselves only to the cloud environment, but also to our on-premises environment. So governance, somebody mentioned earlier, we're trying to implement a governance policy and a, a processes and a framework which will allow us to manage all assets that belong in regardless of which environment they belong in. I'll give you a simple example about cost management. Cost management in the cloud is a very important aspect. And often it doesn't get the attention that's needed till something happens which catches your attention, if you know what I'm saying there. So one of the things we are looking at is we're trying to make sure that You're we are managing. You're in deficiency mode or something. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking at um, ensuring that we are looking at cloud as a, as a, on a pay-as-you-go pay model which means that simply you, you turn it off and you're not using it, say as an example on weekends or evenings, if you do not need to use the services, you turn them off so you're not playing for them. But when you need to use them, you turn them on, if you will. And it's as simple as switching on and off a light switch in a room. So we're trying to ensure we have that kind of a discipline because we're being prudent about how we are using our resources there. Another aspect on the cloud environment is the fact that we are, like I said earlier, we're managing within two major cloud footprints. We're ensuring we do not have cloud sprawl because it's easy to have cloud sprawl by going into multiple cloud footprints. And that is a problem in of itself. And so we're being very protective of the fact that we need to ensure our cloud footprint is in two major cloud providers. And if we need to ensure that there's a third cloud provider, there'll need to be a very strong business case in effect for, for us to be considering that. Because that's even, how we're managing it. Even if it's in only two providers, it could be in multiple instances. Exactly correct, yes, even th that's true. And even in the, the some of the clouds you have, there are the GovCloud, there's a commercial cloud, then there is uh, um, all variations even within the cloud. So yes, it starts becoming very complex very quickly. Yeah, and Zay, that usage and pay for uh, model, you know, the, the convergence of what are we paying for, what are we using, because what, what are we using has to do with performance and capacity as well as cost. And so these things can get to look like the world's biggest cell phone bill, you know, of yesteryear. So is that part of the management complex that you can bring in to help agencies manage Absolutely. that yeah. interface? Absolutely. This is a big piece of it where we, we look at the data analytics behind it and feed the cost algorithm into this tool, and it smartly tells you where either where to go or turn off something that's billing and it's not being utilized at all. So it gives you the advanced analytics that you can see through to make the right decision. And, and it's all about managing data these days, right? Data is, is, is the biggest asset that you have. And this tool gives you the algorithms as well as the machine learning capabilities to predict what you're going to be doing next, uh, next year or even kind of next move for your workload to go into. Because as you were saying, like cell phone bills of yesteryears, you, you, your roaming is on. Right. And you, your bill can go out the roof. So having a smart way to monitor and manage your, your cloud uh, applications as well as your workloads is the right way to go. And I imagine you can generate reports such that you have an independent analysis of what your usage was that you can prevent, to present to the cloud provider and saying, well, wait a minute, Tuesdays from midnight to 6 a.m., this was never running. Correct, it gives a good audit tool, uh, but also it gives you an ability to forecast budget, right? There's, there's not a, a infinite amount of budget in any agency, and you're able to predict something when you go in a usage-based model is, is, is key. So as, as you're turning things on, turning things off, it, it reminds you, gives you that ability to go manage that at that level. Okay, saving money, good place to take a break. 
Our guests today are Alan Hill, Director of Te Telecommunications at the General Services Administration. Sanjay Gupta is the Chief Technology Officer of the Small Business Administration. Stephen Grunch is Branch Chief Enterprise Cloud Services at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And Zain Ahmed, Vice President and General Manager, Civilian Sales for CenturyLink. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, on the panel discussion, How Agencies Are Reducing IT Complexities in a Multi-Cloud World, sponsored by CenturyLink, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Here's Dave Young, Senior Vice President, Strategic Government with CenturyLink. Today, federal agencies are busy modernizing their IT systems. They are building tomorrow's digital government and they're using technology that will make a real difference in people's lives. CenturyLink is helping them migrate to the cloud, build modern networks, and fortify their security. When you think IT modernization, think CenturyLink. Visit CenturyLink.com federal to learn more about building your digital government today. Welcome back to our panel discussion, How Agencies Are Reducing IT Complexities in a Multi-Cloud World, sponsored by CenturyLink, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Alan Hill, Director of Telecommunications for the General Services Administration. Sanjay Gupta is Chief Technology Officer of the Small Business Administration. Stephen Grunch is Branch Chief Enterprise and Cloud Services at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And Zain Ahmed, Vice President and General Manager, Civilian Sales for CenturyLink. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And I want to talk a little bit about the governance because that's really hard to separate from the ultimate management of all of this cloud and network infrastructure. Yes. And uh, Stephen, you mentioned earlier on that you have a very well-defined governance for cloud. Who's involved and what does it govern? Sure, so, our so first of all, the governance of our cloud environment is a collaboration between multiple teams. The, the first team obviously is the infrastructure division, which, which I work for. Uh, but then we also have our developer groups and we also have our infrastructure security or um, cybersecurity division that formulates policy about what can be done in the cloud, uh, what kind of workloads can be done, can be moved into the cloud, and how that infrastructure is going to be organized inside of these different cloud environments. In addition to that, we also have active monitoring policies in place so that when a workload is running in the cloud and different and the cloud environments are stood up, that we have an active monitoring capability in place to ensure that the workloads are meeting our requirements and meeting the, and meeting the, uh, meeting the ideals of the policies that we put in place. So The idea is you can't manage what you can't monitor. Right, so we create, we create a monitoring utility or, or put monitoring utilities in place to validate that our policies are, are effective, right? So this may include different services or, or different components within the cloud infrastructure itself, making sure that those are in compliance with our policies, okay? Uh, in addition to that, um, the part of our governance package is the cost model. So all of our cloud environments are integrated into a cost management tool that allows us to see what we're spending, uh, what, what our inventory is, um, how much of different resources are, are being consumed, uh, and also the, the, the monitoring tools and the cost management tools that we are using uh, measure whether or not our tagging and labeling mm -hmm. is correct on all of our assets. So we have policies in place that make tagging mandatory for all cloud, um, all cloud assets that, that get stood up, right? And this helps us to identify you know, how much per application that we're spending, um, whether or not those particular assets are overspending uh, or, or being over-provisioned. So it sounds like the management and the governance are really interrelated practices there at a very fine-grained level. Is that the case also at SBA, Sanjay? Yeah, that's correct. And I think uh, it requires uh, a change in you, the way you look at your policies and procedures. So I'll give you a case in point. Um, you know, Traditionally, change management used to happen once a week. They'd, the change management team would meet and they'd decide on a change and approve it. Now in the cloud environment, you're doing changes by the hour, by the minute. 
So this whole notion of the change management board meeting once a week is almost not existent anymore in the cloud environment. So yes, it does require a complete paradigm change in the way you're looking at it. Uh, the fact that you know you move from a capex model to an opex model, that in of itself is a change, which uh, obviously from you have to work with your financial officer's office to figure out how does that impact. The other part of this is the implication is since it is no longer you know, defined that this is exactly what you'll consume, you do not have an exact idea. You have an, somewhat of an idea, but you do not know exactly what the dollar figure will be at the end of any given period of time, whether it's a month end or a quarter end or a year end. So with the acquisition cycle going, you, you cannot exactly project this will be exactly to that amount. So that's another cha chain that is driving some changes from an acquisition standpoint, from a management standpoint, and how you look at financial aspects of the cloud environment. There's many more I can go into, but in the interest of time, I'll kind of defer to Alan to give his perspectives as well. Yeah, because you mentioned acquisition being a big part of the, new, of the playbook and also of the cloud smart strategy, which it, which it is. We talked about human capital, but uh, that idea of the third element there, the acquisition, how does that play into all of this? Uh, very much so because uh, as the customers are trying to put in those solutions, they need to have a sound acquisition um, strategy in how they're going to deliver those services and keep the modernization going uh, so that when they put acquisition packages together, how to continue, continually modernize their infrastructure as necessary so that as the technology evolves, you're not out there going and constantly doing new acquisitions in order to meet the change in needs and environment. Also, I would imagine you have to plan for your acquisition to match the money you have for the cloud and modernization activities you're going to have going, because one is an ongoing cost. Absolutely, uh, and, and one of the things that we're doing at uh, GSA is that we have uh, pricing tools and pricing models that allow them to uh, take what they have in budget and see what they can actually do because we have uh, under the EIS contract we have where you can actually see what all the vendors are offering and what their prices are and it's visible for all the vendors so you can kind of get an idea of what those costs are, whether it's uh, whether you're doing the infrastructure yourself or whether you're trying to do managed services uh, from, a, from a cloud service pro provisioning to a network uh, provisioning to a security provisioning. Uh, and it allows you to plan much better. Is it possible, yeah, so that was really, I think you answered my question, but is it possible to say this is what the workload looks like, this is the expected user activity over this period of time, to estimate, and these are the cloud providers we're thinking of using, to get at least a ballpark estimate of that's going to be a million dollars versus ten million dollars. Absolutely, the tools that we have in our hosting center allows them to be able to project those type of, of cost of what a current technology is and as you modernize it. Because it's better to repurpose six figures than seven or eight figures. Absolutely. It <laughs> goes over a lot better, yeah. And so, uh, Zaid, my question for you then is, we've heard a lot of discussion about the interrelatedness of the cloud migration, the modernization. At yeah. the heart of all that, in some ways, is the infrastructure, which itself can be modernized along with applications. So, how does that fit into the cloud modernization and management complex? Yeah, absolutely. As you look at kind of building any house, you look at the foundation of the house. Your network is your foundation. And the foundation has to be very strong and be able to be agile enough in, the, in these days where the technology is transforming every month or so, right? Be able to adapt. And GSA has done a fantastic job in putting EIS together where the contract allows you to adopt as the technology changes. Um, and as you look at that and you think, what am I going to do? Because network is not static anymore. It's a word. It's an action. It's always changing. So the yesterday's uh, network of MPLS is not what's going to be that's going to be able to scale with you. So being being able to have dynamic connections to the cloud, being able to having uh, SD WAN deployed, being able to be able to manage that environment across the board to make sure you're getting the most out of it. And that's why I honestly believe CenturyLink is in the best position because we own, operate, and manage one of the largest global networks across the board. So um, we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen ahead of time on the dig digital revolution that's happening on the commercial side. IT modernization is now taking its full toe in the government side. It's an exact replication of what we've seen across the board. Yeah, Steve, how does that play in at USCIS? Because you mentioned earlier that some of almost every application is in the cloud and there's still a lot of legacy. You probably have 3270 communications even still going in some places. 
I imagine I can maybe run virtualized over a modern network. And so uh, we've, we've modernized our network um, from the perspective of, of the cloud access. I mean, we're, we're using you know, direct connections to our, our cloud service providers. Um, and those are your connections, their connections, or a third party EIS we do, type? We of? do use a third party connection uh, mm -hmm. from, a, from a data center you know, to, to the cloud service providers that we use back to our own network. Um, that, that, was a, that was a key uh, decision that we made to make those connections uh, directly into the cloud service provider. Uh, it cut down a lot of traffic. Uh, it, we got substantially better performance this way, uh, and we were able to secure the traffic coming in and out of the cloud environment. So that, that was a key part of our infrastructure uh, strategy moving forward. Um, once that infrastructure was in place, uh, you know, we were able to build the applications and move the data, you know, at a significantly faster pace than what we had been doing in the data center. Yeah, Sanjay, I imagine that's a big issue because that relates the network and the infrastructure to the cost. I mean, the bigger the pipe, the faster things happen. Right. So, uh, Definitely, the network is evolving much faster than it was evolving, say, 10 years ago. So one of the things we are looking at it is, how do we continue to scale up our network capabilities while keeping our costs lower than what we have been doing? So we're doing a few things, which probably I'll talk in a later segment, maybe another time, is how we are changing the entire model of the network. And somebody mentioned about MPLS network, well, which is sort of the common. <laughs> uh, but we, um, it's a longer discussion perhaps, so um, uh, maybe in your next segment perhaps. Anyhow, but we are basically revolutionizing how we will be using network connectivity in the cloud. We are simplifying it, we're going to reduce our cost structure on that, and we will probably reduce our dependencies uh, through some of the network providers, which probably some of you may not like to hear, uh, but those models are going to be more improving from a customer standpoint. Uh, I want to also kind of comment back on one of the things we were talking in your earlier round of questions about cost management, and I mentioned about uh, being not able to project your cost. The one thing I should have mentioned also that I want to mention is the fact that most cloud service providers provide a concept called reserved instances. What you do is you reserve your instance, you, you do a pre-commit to what you'll use over a period of, say, 12 months or larger, and you are able to get a significantly reduced costs for your cloud infrastructure using those reserved instances. So again, that's one way to be able to sort of give some uh, uh, definition around what your cost model is. Now, some workloads are suited for that. For example, if you're doing monitoring, you know you're going to run the monitoring process uh, 7 by 24, 365, and that will not necessarily see a lot of uh, changes in terms of the volume or the capacity. So those kind of workloads are suited for reserved instances. But thing that kind of ebb and flow with time or period or seasons, those are probably not good workloads for that. Last, coming back to the network piece you mentioned about, I think the notion of the SD-WAN or software-defined uh, wide area network, uh, combined with what some of the product service offerings are being made available through some of the cloud service providers, uh, is, is quite a game changer the way we are seeing it, and we are in the early parts of uh, doing some proof of concepts around it, uh, and I think that's going to be a significant departure from the traditional concepts of networking. It's a combination of uh, connectivity, performance, and cybersecurity. So, so I'll just leave it at that for now, and perhaps at a later time, we'll be happy to share more details about it. All right, it. so that's the third garage door will open in some <laughs> other session, but uh, uh, Alan, the many offerings of GSA must be oriented to this multi-cloud, modernized net, uh, network infrastructure environment that people have, as opposed to the, you know, the last round of, of offerings. Absolutely. Uh, under the EIS contract, which is uh, the bridge in the modernization of the network and security infrastructure, uh, under there, um, the SD-WAN offering to be able to leverage that because SD-WAN was built for the purpose of Sanjay's question on how do I expand and bandwidth. So using an infrastructure as a, as a, a service model, it allows you to expand and contract as necessary to your business needs. SD-WAN provides that, and on the EIS contract, that's an offering that uh, agencies can then go from these high-cost MPLS networks to a much more uh, uh, cost-effective SD-WAN type solution. 
Okay, Zane, we'll give you the final comments here on this whole idea of SD-WAN. I mean, that software-defined yeah. wide area network for those that may want to know what that acronym we've been using stands for. Uh, what is it, how does it work, and how does it enable modernization? So SD-WAN basically is an intelligent network. It's software-defined, so it, based on your workload or what, what you're sending across, it prioritizes and based on that sends whichever route uh, it sees the best way to send it. Um, but I also want to emphasize that SD-WAN is not the overall solution, right? That, what we were talking about hybrid, hybrid wider network is where you want to be in the new age. Because SD-WAN gets you to the edges in the branch offices and get, gets you the complete kind of portfolio from there. But as you go to regional offices and have more security as well as um, requirement for bandwidth, there's, there's the MPLS, the old MPLS comes into play. As you go towards your core of your data centers, that's where your uh, optical wavelengths come in and connecting that at a high speed. And then as you move towards cloud service providers, there's direct connection into it. So it's a layered approach to solving a complex problem. And that's, that's how you get to an agile network. It's, it's not being static. And given the fact that agencies have these layered eras of technology with the legacy applications and so forth, this can accommodate maybe some old protocols that may be virtualized, but nevertheless power definitely. some of those mainframe yeah. applications. Is a fair enough way to put it? Correct. It definitely enables that because you have a good mix of new technology and old technology. So you can choose which way your path needs to be and design it accordingly. Okay. Great panel, I think we're going to end it on that note. A lot of homework I think people have to do and get that staff up to date, get that governance model going. I want to thank today's guests. Alan Hill is Director of Telecommunications at the General Services Administration. Sanjay Gupta, Chief Technology Officer of the Small Business Administration. Stephen Grunch is the Branch Chief Enterprise Cloud Services at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Zain Ahmed, Vice President and General Manager, Civilian Sales for CenturyLeak. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, and you've been listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search CenturyLink. Thank you for listening to the discussion, How Agencies Are Reducing IT Complexities in a Multi-Cloud World, sponsored by CenturyLink on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.